Would you bow with me for a word of prayer this morning? Heavenly Father, once again, we come before you asking for your help. We are completely dependent upon you for our understanding of what you say. And so, Lord, we are grateful that you have given us this opportunity to study and to be illumined by your spirit that we might know you. So grant us that grace this morning. Superintend to our time for your glory and honor. In our Savior's name we pray. Amen. Well, please take your Bibles this morning. As I say that, it strikes me for a moment that as we say that every Lord's Day, please take your Bibles, that statement and the subsequent action that happens that you are going through right now with the book that you have on your lap is really one of the realities that makes us so different than many churches today. We actually believe the Bible. We actually are people here this morning who believe the Bible. And so when I say to us, please take your Bibles, you actually do that. Because you believe that that book in your lap is what God has said. And you have brought it with you. You brought actually to church your Bible. That really shouldn't have to be highlighted, but sadly it must, I think, since there are many places today that call themselves churches where people don't need to bring a Bible. There's simply a tacit reference made to the Bible in general, but it's not really believed. We desire to, to actually do what the Bible says, to believe, to be true, what is actually true. And that is that the Bible is the living and active Word of God to us. And from it, we receive all that we need for life and godliness, don't we? We receive that. So, with that said, open your Bibles to Romans chapter 11. Several months ago, I entitled this series with the header, The Justification of God's Ways with Man. The Justification of God's Ways with Man. And ever since that, when we began that study back in chapter 9, and up to the point where we are in chapter 11 this morning, we've been hearing from God through His servant, the Apostle Paul, as he writes to believers in Rome concerning the reasons that God is doing what he is doing in his plan of redemption, particularly what he is doing with the people of Israel, the Jews. It seems that people struggle oftentimes when you study through the book of Romans, when they get to chapter 9 and then chapter 10 and particularly chapter 11, because the difficulty of what do I do with Israel? There are some who would believe that Israel has been completely, totally, and with finality set aside by God, and that now the church, as we know it, is the new Israel, the church universal. But we know that that can't possibly be true by what Paul has been teaching us here. It is true that the Jews have been struggling with the message of the gospel since the beginning. 
since the beginning of our study and for millennia since before that, they have been having a difficult time with the idea that if a person is going to be right with God, if you are going to be in the place of right standing with God as the creator, God who has created all things, God who all men must face one day, for anyone to be in a right standing with God, the Jews are struggling with the idea that they must come by faith. That you cannot come any other way. You have to come by faith. They're struggling with that because the Jews had always been taught that because they were God's chosen people and because God had graciously given them both the promises of the past and the law of Moses, that if they just work to keep the divine law, In essence, the Ten Commandments, if they work to just keep the Ten Commandments and all of the expansions of the Ten Commandments that have come up throughout history in the Jewish tradition, then they would be in right standing with God. But they assumed that they could keep it. They thought that if they kept it, they'd be in right standing with God, and they assumed that they could And as we have heard and seen through our study since Romans chapter 9, they were blinded by the very truth that was to lead them to Christ. They were blinded by the very truth that was to lead them to Christ. God had given them the law to both show His righteousness and to reveal their failure to measure up to His righteousness. And instead of realizing that, They just moved past that and began even more to adjust the law, to modify it, to adjust it, to accommodate their own whims and their own guilty conscience, to accommodate their failures at keeping the law as it had been given. And so the very righteousness that they sought through the keeping of the law, they could not ever obtain because it does not come that way. God all along has been just in his relationship with them. God all along has never changed his intent to save. His intent to save has never been adjusted since the beginning of time. Since even in the garden when Adam and Eve sinned, his desire to save and his way of saving has never changed. He has never changed his plan to save all of those whom he has chosen to save. All of the salvation that took place in the Old Testament is the, takes place the same way as it does in the New Testament. All people are saved by grace through faith. They are not saved of themselves. It is a gift of God, as the New Testament says. And so God is both just and the justifier of those who believe. Well, the Jews are having a difficult time with that truth. They're having a difficult time with it. And their collective conclusion is that the gospel, if the gospel of salvation by faith is true, then God must have forgotten or God must have given up on his promises to them. That's the mindset of the Jew as Paul is writing in Romans chapter 11. If the gospel of salvation by faith is the true way to know God, the true way to be in right standing with God, then either God has forgotten his promises or God changed the way in which he's going about things and he's laid us aside altogether. 
So when you're studying through Romans, by the time you get to Romans chapter 11, as we have been seeing, Paul is proving that is not the case. Paul is proving that God is not finished with the Jews. He is not finished with them in totality, and he is not finished with them in finality. But God is justified in his dealings with them as he is dealing with them today. And part of the proof is seen in the reality that the stumbling of the Jews over the gospel is all part of God's gracious plan to save people from every tongue and every tribe and every nation. It's all part of his plan. And that very reality is an amazing truth, isn't it? Just that very reality alone. Especially for us who sit here this morning Especially for us, because many, if not all of us in this very room this morning, are not Jewish people. We are not Jewish people. Just look around. I mean, the hundred plus people who are here. We're not Jews. And yet here we are as saved people. Saved in the family of God, enjoying the riches of the salvation that we have in Christ. Now, I want to begin again this morning by simply reading these verses to us. I'm just going to read verses 11 through 15 of Romans chapter 11. Verse 11 through 15, and then then really it's my desire that we understand just how much this has to do with our personal testimony among men. How much this has to do with our personal testimony among men. The people in which we live. Notice what Paul says. I say then, they did not stumble so as to fall, did they? May it never be. But by their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make them jealous. Now, if their transgression be riches for the world and their failure be riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their fulfillment be? But I'm speaking to you who are Gentiles. Inasmuch then as I am an apostle of Gentiles, I magnify my ministry if somehow I might move to jealousy my fellow countrymen and save some of them. For if their rejection be the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? Now remember, this is part of a larger section in Romans chapter 11. That section goes all the way down through verse 34. Actually, verse 32, some would even include verses 33 to 36 in that section. Uh, Some split it off as a separate section there at the end. But regardless of that minute detail, the reality is 11, beginning in verse 11, is a new section. It's a new section. We We already know from our study of the first 10 verses that God is not done with the Jew in totality. Why? Because Paul is a Jew. Paul is a Jew, right? He's a Christian by faith in Jesus Christ. Paul is a Jew. He's 
of the tribe of Benjamin. He's a descendant of Abraham. Paul makes that point very clear in the first two verses. Listen, God cannot be done with the Jews in totality because I am a Jew. That should prove it enough. But Paul stamps that even more so by giving a second proof, which is the doctrine of the remnant. In other words, God has chosen to save some. The doctrine of the remnant proves it. And in verses 1 to 10, he shows us that. And he quotes once again from the Old Testament. And we looked at that some weeks ago. And now, here in verses 11 through 24, really, we are gaining an understanding of what God, that God is not finished with the Jew in finality. He's not finished with the Jew in finality. And the wonder of it all is that all of us who are saved have a part in that reality. That's, that's one of the things I want us to understand this morning. All of us here this morning, as we sit here this morning as saved Gentiles, all of us have a part in the reality of God not being finished with the Jew in finality. In fact, as we learned last Lord's Day, the Jew stumbling over the gospel is all part of God's saving plan so that the door For the gospel would be opened to us, the non-Jew. Remember what he said? They did not stumble so as to fall, but by their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles. That's you and I. So right here, we should be well informed. Right out of the gate, you and I, as we sit here this morning as Gentiles, we should be well informed. We should not be ignorant to the reality. We now have heard truth that should crush any form of spiritual arrogance that might poke out its ugly head in us. We are not saved because we have some worth in us that's worthy of salvation. In fact, the only reason that we have the means of salvation preached to us, the gospel, is because in God's wisdom and God's plan of redemption, His chosen people, the Jew, have sinned by not listening to the gospel. That's why the gospel has come to us. Not because some reason in us, some way in us by which God said, Oh, guess what? I think I'm just going to go and and do this for them because I'm such a sweet, kind person. We have the gospel because the Jew rejected. And that's all part of God's grand plan, but it wasn't anything in us. By the transgression of the Jew, salvation has come to me. I said last week, you should read that verse with your name in it. But by their transgression, salvation has come to tarry. But notice, notice it doesn't stop there. That that really should shock us. That really should cause us to stop in our tracks and think about the, the inevitable grace of God upon our lives as we were once outside. Now we are on the inside. That should really shock us. But notice it does not stop there. In other words, we, we as saved Gentiles do not just get to sit back and bask in all the joy of our salvation. We don't just get to sit back continually thanking God that we are in the kingdom by the skin of our teeth. No, there is a further purpose 
for which God saved us. Why did it happen this way? Why did it happen this way? Well, verse 11 tells us. And it's all about testimony. It's all about testimony. Sometimes we don't think about our Christian lives so much in that way, but it's all about testimony. You notice what Paul says at the end of verse 11. But by their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles in order to make them jealous. Salvation has come to us the non-Jew, in order to make the Jew jealous. Jealous of what? I mean, listen, God is justified in His dealings with all people. God is justified in His dealings with the Jews. He's justified in setting them aside for a time. And He's justified because it is through their rejection... That you and I are able to hear the gospel preached to us. God is justified in doing that. That was God's ordained means for saving us. God's ordained means for you hearing the gospel, for me hearing the gospel. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation, Paul says in chapter 1. It is God's means through which we get saved and God by His grace and mercy, has allowed His Jewish chosen people to to reject the gospel so that the gospel would come to us. So that the means of salvation would be brought to us. And our salvation is part, get this, our salvation is part of God's ordained means. This is what I'm emphasizing. This is the reality of it. Our salvation is part of God's ordained means to draw back the Jew to Himself. That astounds me. That shocks me. This is so important, beloved. So important. That Paul even hones it down by saying this. If their transgression be riches for the world, beginning in verse 12, and their failure be riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their fulfillment be He says, I'm speaking to you Gentiles. I'm an apostle to the Gentiles. And I'm magnifying my ministry as an apostle to the Gentiles. Because maybe even in magnifying my ministry to you as a Gentile, I might in some way move to jealousy. Some of my fellow countrymen and some of them get saved. You know, sometimes when you read through the epistles or through this one book of Romans sometimes when you read through it sometimes you can begin to get confused as to why Paul is spending so much time telling us about God's plan with the Jew why does Paul spend so much time in the early chapters he's speaking and saying listen you Jewish brothers you're guilty too no one's without excuse and he goes into this elaborate detail and then you get to chapters 9 and he really starts to hone in on the Jews and you say why is Paul spending so much time with the Jews I mean if if Romans is so much about the gospel Right? Chapter 1, verse 16 and 17. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God and his salvation for everyone who believes. If it's so much about the gospel, then why all of this about the Jew? Well, here it is. 
Because what God has done with the Jew and what he is going to do with the Jew has a great relevance in respect to us. Who are Gentile believers. Sometimes we get the idea that our Christian lives as Gentiles has little or no impact on other people at all. That when we're Gentile believers, we're believers, but our lives really don't have much impact upon others. That once we're saved, we can just go on living. We get saved. God saved me. Oh, great. I got my ticket into glory. Uh, I know Jesus Christ is my Savior. I just go on living, live my life out. And, and, and then one day when Christ will return, or maybe I'll die before that, and, and I'll be raised, and I'll be with Christ. I mean, to be out of the body is in the presence of the Lord. I rejoice in all of those kinds of things. And maybe we even live a good Christian life. But all of that has to do with my life and that the impact upon others is very limited right here in Romans chapter 11 we can clearly see that it is not how God has designed it God has not designed it that way Even Paul is saying, I magnify my ministry to you. Why? Because even that might provoke some of my countrymen to wonder and by that to repent and believe unto salvation. Now we ought to realize from that that our testimony concerning Christ, that our testimony as a Christian, that Christianity that we claim is much more important than we might think. We say we believe the Bible. We bring our Bible to church. We are a church that preaches from the Scriptures. We try to do our best to understand rightly dividing the word of truth. What does that do to us? Does it change us? Does it affect our lives? Does it make us different people? Do we strive to live differently? Is my Christianity that I claim, is, is it really the reflection of what the Scriptures say it ought to be, like we read this morning in Colossians? Is it much more important than I might think? Well, the Bible says that there was a time when we were not a people of God. Think about that. You kids who grew up in a Christian home, if you don't know Jesus Christ, you are, regardless of where you have grown up, you are currently not a people of God. Just because your parents bring you to this church... doesn't make you a people of God... The Bible says that we were not a people of God. That is a frightening thought that we do not often ponder. From the beginning of time, the redemptive purpose of God was primarily for Israel, for the Jew, God's people. 
the Jewish people. In fact, if you were to look up that phrase in a concordance or in one of your Bible programs, once not a people, you're only going to find it four times. Four times. And two of those times, it carries the meaning of not being a people of God. The other two times, it's just speaking in some general way. But when it says you're not a people of God, i.e. You're, you're, His chosen as compared to Israel. You're not a Jew. You're not Israel. You're not in. You're out. You're on the outside. Israel, who is God's chosen, are on the inside. And yet Israel, who are God's chosen, has rejected the Messiah. They rejected Jesus Christ. Of course, all according to God's plan. All according to God's wisdom. And by God's plan and by God's wisdom, through their rejection, the door is opened for the gospel to come to us, the non-Jew, those who are on the outside. Here's how it's described in the Old Testament. You say, where? All the way back in Deuteronomy. First five books of the Bible, here it is. Deuteronomy at the end, chapter 32, verse 21. God says, To Israel, through Moses, they have made me jealous with what is not God. They have provoked me to anger with their idols. God speaking about Israel. That's the they there. They have provoked me to anger with their idols. So I will make them jealous with those who are not a people. That's you and I. I will make them jealous with those who are not a people. I will provoke them to anger with a foolish nation. That's all the way back in Deuteronomy. This was prophesied and shown as Israel was rejecting the truth of God then. There's one other place that that phrase is reiterated in this way. That is in 1 Peter chapter 2. I want us to turn to 1 Peter for a moment this morning. I want to spend a little time here. Because 1 Peter is all about what we have in salvation. And how it is to be lived out. Who we are as Christians. And how we are to live. Even in the worst of times. And so in a nutshell, we could say that it is a book about our living testimony, couldn't we? First Peter is a book about our testimony as Christians. Chapter 1, Peter's saying, in light of this great salvation that you have, be holy because Christ is holy. Right? You read that in chapter 1. You be holy, Peter quotes the Old Testament in verse 16. You shall be holy for I am holy. He's not simply just speaking of our justification in God. He's not simply speaking of the fact that because Christ is holy when we're attached to Christ, therefore we are holy in the eyes of God. That is true. That is a justified position in God. We've talked about that in the book of Romans. But that's not all that Peter is relying on and saying because the verse before that he says but like the holy one who called you be holy yourselves also in what all your behavior so now that's talking about how we live that's talking about our sanctification that's talking about who we are as christians 
So chapter 1, in light of your salvation, in light of all that God has given you, beginning in verse 3, in light of this wonderful salvation that you have, be holy because Christ is holy. And in light of your salvation, love each other from the heart. That's what he says down in verse 22. Since you have in obedience to the truth of chapter 1, verse 22, since you have in obedience to the truth purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, then fervently love one another from the heart. Right? How will they know you're my disciples? They'll know when you love one another, Jesus said. And so by the time in 1 Peter that you get to chapter 2, we are reminded of where we have been brought from. Notice what he says. Therefore, verse 1, putting aside all malice, all guile and hypocrisy and envy and slander. Right? We read about that in Colossians chapter 3. Put all that stuff aside because you have all of this in Christ. The word which was preached to you in verse 25 of chapter 1. Like newborn babes, long for the pure milk of the word, that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. See, he's not saying grow and that you you get more and more saved. He's not saying that. You're not getting more and more saved. It's a once-for-all deal. You're justified in Christ. You stand before God, unguilty, by way of the means of the guilt of your sin. Now you work at living according to what you have. So you grow in respect to your salvation since you've tasted the kindness of the Lord. And so you come to him as a living stone rejected by men. There's referring once again to what had happened to Jesus Christ when he arrived. And really what happened all the way back in Deuteronomy chapter 32. But he's a choice and precious in the sight of God. And so you also, as living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And then he quotes in verse 6 that reality of what we've already understood about the rejection of Jesus Christ. Behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone, a precious stone, and he who believes in him shall not be disappointed. So this precious value then is for the, for you who believe. But for those who disbelieve, right, these are stumbling block, he's a rock of offense. They stumble, verse 8, because they are disobedient to the word. They're disobedient to the word, but that's not you. That's not who you are. That's not what God has done with you. That's not the place where you have been brought, right? Here it is. Check it out. But you are a chosen race, a holy or a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. Why? So that you might proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. This is why you were saved. For once, verse 10, you were not a people. Peter's saying, listen, you've got to realize something about your salvation. You were outside. You were way outside. The gates were locked and you had no invitation and you had no key for entrance. I mean, the only place you were at was at the place of destruction. That's where you were headed. 
And God, in His infinite wisdom, and in His infinite plan, and in all of His grandness about saving, has allowed His people to reject Him, to reject the gospel, in order that the gates would be flung open, like in the wedding feast, to those who are wandering by, because the people with invitations didn't want to come. And God flung the gate open and said, go out and get anybody who, who's willing to come. And the gospel goes out. And we listen to the gospel. By the grace of God, God gave us the ability to hear the gospel. He opened our ears. And he saved us. We were once not a people. But now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy but now you have received mercy. You see, that's something we have to realize. We, we were outside in the place where there is no mercy. There is no sense of salvation. And yet God has graciously brought us in and said, you are a people and here's my mercy. And so what does Peter say? In light of all of that, here's your salvation. Here's who you are. Be holy for I am holy. Here's who you are in Christ. Love one another with a fervent love. Listen, go to Christ. Remember what Christ has done for you. I urge you, verse 11, as aliens and strangers, abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against your soul. Listen, that is a daily, moment by moment, every second battle. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles. Keep your behavior excellent in the world in which you live. So then the thing in which they slander you as an evildoer, they may on account of your good deeds as they observe them glorify God in the day of visitation. You see, your testimony has an impact, has an effect. It isn't just, oh yeah, I'm saved, no big deal. You know, if people know I'm a Christian, great, but listen, I, gotta, I can live anywhere. No, 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 no. This is who you were. This is what Christ has done. This is who you're to be. You say, well, how, how? How do I do that? In what way do I do that? Where do I do that? Well, look what Peter says. Submit yourselves, verse 13, for the Lord's sake. How, how am I going to show my behavior to be excellent among the Gentiles? In the world in which I live, whether it's Jew or Gentile looking at my life, how am I going to show my behavior as excellent? Well, here's the first way. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution. What? I don't like those guys who are running the country. Submit to the human institution? What? Yeah, whether it's a king as the one in authority, or whether it's a governor as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers, that, that's talking about the law enforcement. Governors were the law enforcement. For the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. You know what the praise is for those who do right when you don't get in trouble because you're following the law? Guess what? You've just been praised. You say, okay, well, that's the government. Yeah, well, there's... Listen, we're going to get to Romans chapter 13, and I'm going to tell you this. Especially here in New England, Paul is going to take his big foot and step right on our, our hose that we're breathing through. And we're going to gasp for air about what that means. What does it mean to submit ourselves to the human institution? Oh, here's another way. Servants, verse 18, be submissive to your masters with 
some respect, only if they deserve respect. Nope. Nope. You want to keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles? Then as a servant, you be submissive to your masters with all respect. And not only to those who are good and those who are gentle, but especially, and that word especially, I put that, also to those who are unreasonable. Why? Because it's a testimony. It's a testimony about what God has done to you. It's a testimony about your salvation. It's a testimony as to chapters 1 and 2 in 1 Peter of all that God has done, that you're setting aside the deeds of the flesh. You're putting on gentleness and patience and kindness. Does it go on from that? Oh, sure. Government institutions, my workplace. Uh, Let's get a little closer. Let's get in the home. Peter says, let's get in the home. Let's drive this nail a little deeper into the coffin. Chapter 3, in the same way. In the same way as what? You ever stop and think about that? Peter says, in the same way. In the same way as what? In the same way as verses 21 through 25 say about Jesus Christ... And what does it say about them? You have been called for this purpose. What purpose? To suffer. Since Christ suffered for you, and he left you an example for you to follow in his steps, he committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. While being reviled, he didn't revile in return. While suffering, he didn't utter any threats. He kept entrusting himself to the one who judges righteously. And he himself bore your sin in his body on the cross, that you might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds you were healed. For you were continually straying like sheep. You were outside, but now you have return to the shepherd and guardian of your soul. So, in that same way, wives, be submissive to your own husbands. Ouch. So that, even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be won without a word by the Behavior by the testimony, by the outward living of their wives as they observe your chaste and respectful behavior. Oh, and the prideful husband says, See, honey, I told you the Bible talks to you about our relationship. You need to submit to me. Oh, really, husband? Look at verse 7. And you, husband, likewise. You know what the likewise refers to? The same thing it was referring to with a wife. Jesus Christ. And likewise, you live with your wife in an understanding way as with a weaker vessel. Why? Because she's a woman. And grant her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life so that your prayers aren't hindered. Guess what, guys? Sometimes our prayers aren't answered. You know why? Because we're living wrong with our wives. That's what it says. But what's it say in the Greek? You want to know what it says in the Greek? Live with your wives in an understanding way so that your prayers aren't hindered. That's what it says. You want God to hear your prayer? And submit yourselves to God. Because God says live with your wife in an understanding way. And then Paul gets the verse, or Peter gets the verse 8 to sum it up. Let all be harmonious. Sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, humble in spirit, 
Not returning evil for evil or an insult for an insult. Oh, that's such a favorite thing for us, isn't it? You insulted me, I'm going to insult you. No. He says, give a blessing instead. Why? Because that's what you were called for. That's why God saved you. God saved you for that very purpose, so that you could inherit a blessing. You see, you see how important testimony is? You see how important it is for those who are seeing our life? So listen, brothers and sisters, listen. We have a God-given responsibility to live for Christ. A God-given responsibility. And we, are to, we have a responsibility to live for Christ in every situation, no matter how bad it gets, because our testimony has an impact. Now go back to Romans chapter 11. Because Paul says our testimony has an impact especially on the Jew. Especially, this has really kind of revamped my thinking on evangelism. You know, we know we need to evangelize and we think, oh yeah, I'm going to go share the gospel with people and people come in my life and I'll share the gospel. Listen, I want every Gentile I know to get saved. You know why? Because that means more jealousy for the Jew. Not in a bad way. Not because I want to see the Jew going around, gosh, I can't believe what, blah, blah, blah. No, because that's what God's means is for them to hear the gospel. So every time someone's saved in the Gentile world, the Jew gets more jealous of what's going on in the Gentile world. If anything, this should cause us to fight even harder against the temptations of our own sin should fight even harder that our testimony is so clear that we are followers of Jesus Christ, that our life is so emulatable that all around us are either going to want to get rid of us because they got rid of Christ. They're going to say, I don't want you around me anymore because you're so holy in your living. I don't want you around me. Or they're going to desire what we have. And they're going to open their hearts to the gospel. The more people who come to know Christ, especially from the Gentile world, the more the Jew is made jealous. And the more the Jew is made jealous, there's hope that some would be saved. Even now. Even now in the time of the Gentiles. Because that's what we're in. We're in a time now where God is dealing mostly with the Gentiles. Paul even says that in verse 25. I don't want you to be uninformed of this mystery. That you might be wise in your own estimation. Speaking to the Gentiles. A partial hardening has happened to Israel. Until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. There's a time in history, a time coming when God is going to switch, turn the switch, if you will. And the primary means is now going to be him drawing back the Jew to himself. 
Not that no Gentile would be saved, but the primary purpose is for the Jew to be saved with a smattering of Gentiles. Like now, it's primarily Gentiles being saved and a smattering of Jews getting saved. But God is going to flip the switch. And we are part of that happening. We are part of creating this flood of jealousy amongst the Jewish nation. Not so that we can puff ourselves up and say, hey, look, we're much better than you are. No, no, no. Simply so that we, like Paul's desire, might see them come to know Christ. And you say, why? Why is that so good? Well, it gets even better. It's good that the Jews rejected so that we could have the gospel when we got saved. And you say, what could be better than that? Well, it gets better. It gets better. Notice what Paul says. Notice what he says, right? In Ephesians, he says that we have been given everything we have in the heavenly places in Christ, right? In our salvation, we have everything all the spiritual blessings in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Right? In the word of God, Peter says we have everything we need for life and godliness. So we have everything in the heavens. We have everything we need here. How could it get any better than that? Notice what he says in verse 15. For if their rejection... Be reconciliation of the world. When he says world, he's not meaning universal salvation there. He's meaning reconciliation. The doors were opened that the world might hear the gospel. And even the gospel going out and only God saving some as God's plan is, there is blessing to the entire world. Right? The rain falls on the just and the unjust. God has showered his blessing Upon the world. Remember we even learned it's a blessing to just be able to hear the gospel. That is a grace of God. So Paul says if their rejection. If the Jewish rejection of the Messiah be the reconciliation of the world. What will their acceptance be? I mean if that brought salvation to you. And in salvation you have everything in Christ in the heavenly places. And in your salvation and through the word of God you have all you need for life and godliness. What's going to happen when they are saved? Paul says, it's going to be like life from the dead. Life from the dead. Similar to what he's already said in verse 12. But here he's pressing the point home. Verse 12, he says, how much more will there, some of your Bibles may say, fullness be. Fulfillment. How much more will that fulfillment be? Here he's, he's pressing it home. He's emphasizing the fullness. He's emphasizing what that fullness is going to be like. And he says it's as being like life from the dead. In other words, if Gentiles, right? That's what the word means, world there means. The word world in, in verse 15. That, he's talking about the Gentile. If their rejection brought salvation, brought the gospel to the Gentile world, a general blessing upon the whole Gentile world and a specific blessing upon those whom God has chosen to save. 
What is going, what's it going to be like when they're finally brought back? Paul says it's going to be like life from the dead. It's going to be like life from the dead. You say, well, that doesn't sound very good. Well, Paul's using hyperbole here. Hyperbole. You know what hyperbole is, right? It's a figure of speech that's intended to be taken, not be taken literally. He's not saying it's going to be resurrection. It's going to be life from the dead. As we all know, we will one day be resurrected. He's not talking about resurrection in the future. This is hyperbolic speaking. Speaking. Uh, he's saying if the, if the setting aside of the Jew, as it is now in our present time, God has set aside the Jew, albeit not in finality. Uh, if that has meant to you and I as Gentiles that we're right with God, that we have the gospel, then what will the saving of the Jews be like? It's going to be like life from the dead. It's going to be so wonderful, so glorious. Paul says, I, I, I can't even compare it to anything else other than that. That's really the idea. I, I, I can't find another illustration that would be better than what I'm telling you here. It will be like life from the dead. Now, we can understand that, I think. I think we can understand that. We are stunned when a dead sinner gets saved, aren't we? When somebody gets saved, we just go, wow. Wow, right? It's always a wonder of God's grace, right? We, we hear the gospel, someone hears the gospel, they embrace Jesus Christ, and we go, man, that was so awesome. But we are overwhelmed at the grace of God. We are overwhelmed at the mystery and the mercy and the miracle of life from the dead. When it's a person who has clearly rejected the gospel over and over and over and over again. And God saves them. When we use words like this, I never thought I'd ever see the day. That's what we say. I can't believe, I never thought I'd see that happen. We, we got a little example of that last Lord's Day, didn't we? little example of that in our baptism. Paul is saying that as a Gentile believer, we have riches now. Oh, we have it good now, brothers and sisters. We have all we need in Christ. But when the Jews are brought in, oh man, it is really going to get good. It's really going to get good. And so, beloved, this is sometimes for us to look forward to. This is a time for us to want. This is something for us to go, man, if that's the case, then I want to be just like Paul. I want to run out the doors and I want to share the gospel with every person I see. And I want to see the Jews get jealous because I want to see the Jews come in. Because man, when they get saved, wow, it's going to be great. This is something for us to live for. We need to preach the gospel to all people, everybody, anybody we see. Why? Because the more who are saved, the closer we come to that time. 
The more who are saved in the Gentile world, the more jealous the Jews become because they see our lives, they see us living for Christ, they see God just flooding the blessings upon us, and they're going, hey God, what about us? I thought we were your chosen people. How come we're not getting any of that? Come and talk to us, and we say, yeah, you got to know Jesus Christ. you got to know Him by faith. And they start to search the scriptures again. They stop rejecting the Messiah. And God draws them back to himself. And when the Jew gets saved, what greater blessing there will be. You see, we're not against the Jews. We're not a people who are anti-Semitic like some people might claim we are. We're none of that. In fact, we love the Jews. I want to see every Jew get saved. Because God's just going to pour out the blessing. What a wonderful God we have, don't we? He never breaks his promises. Never breaks his promises. The Jews are not done in totality. They are not done in finality. He promised long ago. He said that he would do it. And he is doing it. And every Gentile believer here this morning is a testimony of him doing it. You and I, we are a testimony to God's grace and to God's mercy and our lives ought to be reflecting that each and every day. In fact, Paul is going to start emphasizing this beginning in chapter 12 of how we are to live over and over and over and over again from chapter 12 all the way to the end. Paul is saying, look, you need to live this way. In light of this, you need to live this way. Why? Because it's all about our testimony. It's all about our testimony. We can say a whole lot of things. There are a whole lot of people that say, I love Jesus, and their life doesn't reflect that. And so we go, really? There are a whole lot of kids who have grown up in homes where their parents say, I love God, I love Jesus. We go to church, and when they go home, their kids say, I don't see it affecting you. Why would I believe it? Our testimony has a great purpose. Let us live with the purpose that the gospel is clearly reflected in our lives. Let us live with that purpose. Reflect the gospel. Our testimony does matter. We'll get more next time. More next time. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for this morning, this opportunity just to really say a few things about who we are to be. We're grateful for your word or its testimony to us and the lives that we must live because of it. We're thankful for the future. We're thankful for what you have planned. Whether we get to see it with our physical eyes or not, we will be there. That day when you will draw your people, the Jew, back to himself. In the meantime, Lord, we pray that you would save every Gentile that could be saved. So that the Jew would grow more and more jealous, desiring that relationship with you that we now have. By your grace, by your mercy, once being outside, now we're brought in. No invitation, but we were brought in simply because of the rejection of the Jews. What a great mystery. We thank you for that. We thank you for giving us life in your Son. Help us to reflect it and not be a tarnished 
testimony. Help us to work hard, to strive hard, to live by the Spirit, walking by faith, that we might battle the deeds of the flesh, which wage war against our soul, and carry out the deeds of the Spirit, which always honor you. So thank you for these things. Help us remember them every moment of every day, that we might glorify you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.